0: Welcome to Industry Focus,
1: the podcast
0: that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day.
1: I'm your host, Emily Flippin.
0: I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today, we're talking financials.
1: Today, we're talking consumer goods.
0: Wildcard
1: Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today, we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. Today is Tuesday, December 14th, and I'm your consumer goods host, Emily Flippin. Today, I'm joined by Motley Fool analyst, Sammy Deo, and we're going to be talking about Olaplex. It's a niche hair care business, but it's valued at over $16 billion, so maybe niche isn't the right word to describe it with, but Meet, thank you so much, not just for joining, but for bringing this stock to our attention.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me on, and uh, like I was saying, I'm glad to bring a female hair care product to the mix here. <laughs>
1: well i i always say this i'm a terrible host of this consumer goods show because unlike the majority of people in my demographic i don't spend nearly enough time or money on things like clothing makeup or hair care i blame the pandemic and the fact that i sit behind a screen all day uh, so i'm embarrassed to say i had actually never heard of this company until you started talking to me about it as a business that you really liked and when i say really liked i don't mean just in the context of well maybe we can talk about this this on on Industry Focus have an interesting conversation. I mean, in the context of, I want to recommend this company, right? This is an interesting business that is growing pretty substantially. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, I was astounded when I saw that its market cap was over $16 billion because for a hair care business, that's pretty lofty, pretty unusual we see pure play hair care businesses value it at such a high rate. So naturally, I was extremely interested. I'm sitting here with my very damaged hair. So I actually went out and I bought myself some of Olaplex's products. They have an entire suite numbered order lead for you where you can try out. And I put some in my hair. I will say I enjoyed it, although I did notice how expensive the product was. Um, but before I get into my own personal thoughts about the company, um, what is it about Olaplex that made you so excited?
0: I mean, you know, when we when we talked last on your focus, we talked about sweet green and and kind of how I found that just from 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 seeing it, you know, retail stores, consumer products are very often you see in the world and you and you get interested in when you're an investor you say, Hey, is it public? Let me look into it. This was not like that. It was actually A name I got from a a fellow investor who pitched it to me just said, "Hey, take a look at this. It's a consumer product company." I'm like, "All right." So I took a quick look, and the financials blew me away first off, and that in itself was the first thing that that really blew my mind in terms of the the insane amount of growth and margins that it has. And then as I started digging in a little further to kind of figure out, well, what does this company actually do? You know, um, it's not a company that. I have tried before because I, you won't see it under my hat, but I don't really have much hair, so uh, it doesn't really benefit me. But you know, having a wife that uses a lot of hair care products, I you know I asked her, and um, and she hadn't tried it either, but she has some good views on 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 the industry. So I like to touch base with her on that. And but admittedly, the financials is really what stuck out to me like first and foremost. And then as I started digging into it the business and what they're doing seems very interesting and and i can see why they have the growth that they have
1: well sticking with me not falling squarely into this demographic i will say uh, a lot of people in my demographic which is especially young women with a lot of hair spend more time on social media platforms than I do. And this is really the bread and butter for Olaplex. They have um, a lot of brand ambassadors, so people out there who are actually getting paid by the company to promote the product. But it's not just paid promoters, it's also some pretty organic spread across social media that has brought this company to a lot of people's attention. Um, It has a lot of, I'll say, fans out there. And if you actually look at their net promoter score, if Memory Serves, their net promoter score is over 70, which is Really strong, especially again for these consumer facing businesses that are more challenging, right? When you're selling a consumer product to get that net promoter score up. So, some really big fans, I'll say, out there in the market today. They have a really interesting approach by combining both professional settings with this retail setting. So a lot of people will get exposure to Olaplex, not just through social media, right, scrolling through their news feeds, seeing people use it on their hair and talk about the results, but also by going into their salon. So Olaplex actually has a couple of products that they call our ProRx. So they're only for professionals who will use these products on their customer's hair, and and then recommend them to their customers. So they have this dual pronged approach if you will, combining both these these ambassadors within social media with ambassadors and salons as well.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and um, you know that's the kind of interesting thing about this company where they're able to balance that, and it's it's actually it's not something I knew, but as I started looking at some some comments from a competitor, um, you know, balancing that is very difficult. Typically, what happens is you know a product might be very popular with stylists, stylists recommended, they're very all on board, um, and people trust their stylists. They look to their stylists to to for product recommendations, and but then what happens is once they go retail, they start selling in, in different stores um, online, in different channels. Uh, sometimes that kind of eats into the stylist business of recommending and they, they don't like that. They, they like to to be exclusive and it, it kind of maybe takes the, the the exclusive or professionalism of the product away. So them being able to balance that is actually pretty impressive if, if you kind of... Really dig in and figure out that that's not really commonly done, and that's not it's it's more rare than than we as as normal consumers might think. Um, and again, like you said, they have a very strong engagement um, on social media platforms. Which, let's be honest, products like this are that's kind of almost like a bread and butter and a very popular way to 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 get their products out there, known and and in. In the community and used and and, and demonstrated, um, it's a very visual product. It's like once someone's used it, shows before and after pictures. People are going to recognize, wow, this this thing looks, this thing seems to work. I mean, they have you know over two point one million followers on Instagram. Um, they have over three hundred fifty million. Um, hashtag Olaplex views on TikTok and 230,000 professional stylists and Olaplex led communities on Facebook. And then they also have uh, a million plus unique hair diagnostic quiz takers since October, 2020 on their Olaplex.com website. So they're hitting all the, the main online communities and channels to really get their, their, their name out there.
1: So I I love this dynamic between professionals and consumers, and you can understand why a business like Olaplex would want to target both. Both are critical for growth. In fact, while these numbers are as of the S1, so they might have changed a bit since the company went public earlier this year, around 55% of sales come through these professional channels in comparison to 27% of sales coming direct to consumers, so that's olaplex.com or Amazon. Another 18% coming through specialty retail, which is retail outlets like Sephora or Ulta. Now, that is to say, they have this very diverse mix of where they're pulling revenue from. So it's understandable that they want to retain relationships with professionals that account for over 50% of their sales, while also still driving people to other avenues that are actually growing much faster than their professional channels. So they're getting growth from both avenues here. But when you think about the relationship that Olaplex has between those professionals and those consumers, how do you navigate that? Because there are some professionals that will say, "Hey, why am I why am I promoting a product that is a freely available on retail store shelves, right? It's the idea of professional or salon quality. The moment it leaves the salon, it loses some of that credibility."
0: Yeah, no. And and um they've definitely um Kind of rooted themselves also in science. They have a their 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 patented product or their patented um, chemical or product that they use in in their hair care products. Bisamino, it has a longer name, is is scientifically proven uh, to to build rebuild bonds in in their hair. So it's it's something where they've positioned themselves. In deeply in science, but also in beauty, and so they're kind of balancing not only just the stylist and the influencer area, they're also balancing the science and the beauty. And I think what, what what's going on too is the stylists have such what make, gives me comfort for the investment in the company is that the stylists have such a conviction in the product um, that they are able to be okay with it being in retail and and being sold because the professional product seems like it is exclusively sold in professional and customers can't get that product anywhere else and all the other products are more consumer-oriented products that people are actually buying after the stylist has told them about some of their products and then once they learn about the products from the stylist, then they'll go out and and say, "Hey, and I want some additional products, or I want to try a different product from them, and go on Amazon or Sephora and, and and check it out." So there's a nice balance of of consumers using and getting the products from both channels.
1: And that's really where this business, I think, shines, is because when I look at what they did when they went to retail. I think they did their best to navigate the retail professional relationship by keeping that higher price point. So, now time for my my kind of anecdotal story here. So, I went out wanting to try Olaplex and I went online. I was one of those million plus people who did their hair care quiz and they gave me a couple recommendations about what I should buy, in particular, a handful of their products which they have numbered 0 through 7. Uh, number 1 and 2 are only available professionally, but they recommended that I get number 0 number three, four, five, and 7. So I did. I tried all of these different numbered products. And while I will say it did make my hair feel very nice, soft, and shiny, they were also very pricey. And while you can get some of them in some packs, right, these trial packs, individually each bottle sells for about $28. And they are small bottles. I think three and a half-ish ounces, if memory serves. So pretty small amounts for a pretty high price point. And I find myself really conflicted about what this price point does to the consumer because on one hand, I think having a premium image for a product that maybe is bought less frequently is really good for Olaplex because it lets professionals maintain the belief that Olaplex is that premium product. Whereas on the other hand, when you're pricing shampoo and conditioner at $28 a bottle for a very small bottle, that becomes something that rapidly limits the size of the market right so really only affluent people who will be making this purchase but also maybe decreases the frequency with which they'll be willing to make this purchase so I, I think I can make an argument on either side of the fence about the price point of this product I see good things and I see bad things
0: absolutely I mean it's it's it is a higher priced product and it is going to cost some money to uh to, to 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 buy it. They do sell bundles and that brings the cost down a little bit. Um but what's interesting too and about even consumer products in general, consumer products or consumer restaurants or retail, if the product is really differentiated, it doesn't have as much competition, it's it's unique, people will be willing to pay up for for the products if if they really see value out of them. And I think that's where they're positioning themselves and they've done a good job of positioning themselves. You know, the CEO of Olaplex now, Ju Yi Wang, used to be the CEO of another hair care company, which you might know of, and you may have tried Moroccan Oil, which has become quite a quite a, a popular brand over, over time. I think they do close to, it's a private company, so I don't have exact numbers, but close to anywhere between 100 and 500 million. I know it's a big range of sales, but it's because it's a private company. So it's not easily accessible, but Olaplex has already surpassed that. And that is a product that has been ubiquitous. My wife loves that product. The, 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 it works great. It smells great. People love it. It's sold everywhere. So people will buy up for something that, you know, delivers value to them and Olaplex from what I've read from reviews and just doing some some work on it. There's not many products that are doing what they're doing. I mean, in fact, I don't think there's any products or from everyone that I've asked and the reviews I've read, there isn't a product that's, that's doing exactly what they're doing and repairing hair quickly and, and well. Um, so I think they're really differentiating themselves, which could sustain that price.
1: I have some thoughts about the hair care industry, about what you said, particularly using Moroccan oil as an example, but I'm going to hold off on my thoughts until we get to the risk sections because you did talk a little bit about the sales here. and You mentioned at the offset of the show that what made Olaplex stand out to you is the financial performance. So When you look at the financial performance of this company, what stands out?
0: What stands out the most are the margins. The margins are astronomically high. I mean, the gross margins are above eighty percent. Um, so if you just take the past last twelve months, as of September, um, gross margins eighty one percent. EBITDA margins sixty four percent. Now EBITDA margins are you know even more like more difficult to get such high margins on, and and they're profitable already. So you know a lot of the different consumer or tech names that we see aren't profitable. This is profitable and. It's growing at a very high clip. So, but the profit margins are really what sticks out.
1: Well, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but I will anyway, because, hey, you know, it's the show. What am I going to do? I will say, as I mentioned, this is a $16.5 billion company, and while this is a profitable business that is growing very rapidly, I really hate the use of adjusted figures in this case, because as with most consumer goods businesses, the figures adjusted, especially when you're looking at things like adjusted EBITDA metrics, take away a lot of really important aspects about Consumers' businesses. And, and one of those is obviously taxes. But in this case, another aspect is interest expense. Um, and that only means that around $185 million of that over $500 million in sales are hitting the bottom line. That becomes a lot harder to swallow when you think about that $16.5 billion valuation. But let's talk about this interest expense a bit. Um, I'm going to caveat my feelings here. with I've been wrong on this stuff in the past, but I'm a little bit nervous. When I look at their debt load, they have just under $750 million in long-term debt. That bore over $55 million in interest expense over the last year. That was nearly 20% of their operating profits, more than 30% of their operating cash flow and then you add taxes on top of it, it just means that their actual net income margins, right? like the actual gap level of profitability, is much lower. Now, this debt was obtained because Olaplex was acquired by a PE firm, Advent International, um, earlier in 2020. They saddled Olaplex with a lot of debt, paid themselves a pretty penny in the process. Advent still owns 77% of the shares outstanding, and that ownership structure does make me a bit nervous. The caveat I'll provide is, I remember as a relatively new fool, one of the first companies I looked at was Yeti. And I've talked about Yeti a ton on the show in the past, but I remember having this conversation with the other analysts where I talked about virtually the same situation. A company whose co-founders had left, although in this case, obviously co-founders not involved, but co-founders had left tons of debt brought in by an outside PE firm. Uh, They were a controlled entity. I just... I didn't like it. And Yeti has done amazing things. So this could still be great, but that debt does make me nervous.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And typically when a PE firm takes over a company and they saddle it with debt, it's a company that has steady cash flows and and revenues. And so they're relying on that steadiness of revenue and cash flows to pay off the debt. And, And so debt doesn't tend to be concerned, but but this you know for all intents and, purposes, and as much as I might sound so excited about this company, I, I'm definitely aware of there are many risks to this company. I mean, uh, for all intents and purposes, even though it has eleven products, it's a single product type company where this is what they're doing in terms of the hair care products, and so they're very reliant on that. They're very reliant on some of the customers they have. They have you know customer concentration, which I think you know you you, you might be talking about later but um, so they are reliant on these things and and that does present some risk which given the heavy load of debt and the interest expense if they can't cover that 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 becomes a problem so um, yeah but if if they're able to the, the, the one thing that that does give me some comfort that it's in a category and product area that's tends to have a lot of resilience and even some of the the stuff I've read from some competitors you know, even post-pandemic, the, what's happened is it slowed once the pandemic hit in this in this uh, category. But post-pandemic, it's kind of jumped back right to the growth that it, it was in prior to the pandemic. And the care category, which includes shampoos, treatments, oils, masks, stuff that that Olpex, um is in, is has been seems seems more resilient to crisis. Um, so there is some stability there. Albeit, you know, take that with a grain of salt.
1: So, I, I want to talk about the risks, and I guess I'll give you my my bear case because uh, I love playing devil's advocates. But give me the bull case. Uh, if Olaplex is successful over the next three to five years, what happened? What does the business look like?
0: Uh, I see multiple products in their hair care. Um, they they're looking to grow. Two to three each year, so continue to expand that portfolio. Expand into skincare, which is they already have patents for products in skincare. They've already said that their their customers, if they came out with skincare products, would be interested in. Another interesting thing I, I saw, you know, f- focusing on some other categories of growth, you know, that um, that that could be like underserved consumer groups. Um, could be males who do use a high frequency of hair care products. Um, exploring pet care segment—that's something that's that's also there. So taking different areas like that and expanding into those to kind of expand their product line, and then also growing out outside of the United States, which will be a challenge because you know the 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 the, the balance between stylists and um, and growth there and going retail. Is a little more trickier and challenging internationally versus um, versus in the United States. Um, recommendations from stylists in countries like G- Germany, Japan, are more important, and it's a huge barrier to entry. So they're going to have some 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 trickier waters to navigate um, abroad. But growing there and expanding there will definitely will be a bull um, case for them.
1: Yeah, I think the skincare industry in particular is really interesting. one of the numbers that they pointed out was that it's a $140 billion a year global industry. So um, nearly double the size of the hair care industry, which is strange to think about. So, to the extent they have even a little bit of success in skincare, it could be good for them. Although I will say, going back, you know, when I think about the risks to this business, I already mentioned valuation as one that I'd keep my eye on. But even more so than that, where I really find myself hitting this wall um, and I can't get over it for some reason, maybe. Listeners can, maybe you can, Samit, is just with how fickle hair care and consumer products can be sometimes. When I think about Moroccan oil or argan oil, they were these things that revolutionized the hair care industry. Everybody was really excited about them. And then they kind of fell off, right? They went to the next best thing. And I think right now, in terms of hype, maybe Olaplex is reaching a peak that if they're unable to develop any new product to reach that same level of hype, they end up falling off to whatever the newest thing is in hair care. So For that reason, I find myself just kind of, I guess, treading cautiously in these waters. All the numbers are pointing in the right direction, management's executing. I like the big vision that they have. But man, I just can't get over that one aspect, which is hair care. (laughs) Am I just never going to invest in a hair care company? I might well, not.
0: It's interesting you mentioned that, and the one of the points I wanted to make too is is given that there is you know quite a bit of risk, as we've outlined for this business, you know, as a one thing for listeners and members to li- uh, focus on and, and and identify as well is would you want this as a part of a broader part of your portfolio, and given the risks that are there in this company. You know how do you size that? You know you don't make this isn't one of those companies or stocks that you make an outsized position in your portfolio. This is one of those where, given the things that that we like, balance with the risks involved, valuation, you know, expanding, concentration of of, of customers and ownership and, and and all the things we've outlined. Maybe we make this a smaller portion of a portfolio. Maybe it's like a two and a half, three percent, four percent position. Um, For for our portfolio that kind of gives us exposure into this industry um, that we can feel comfortable with. And so. Um, I wouldn't just, if you're, if you're too concerned with risk, I wouldn't just throw it aside and say, ah, it's, I don't want to invest in the area at all. Um, or if it's too risky, then you want to invest in like maybe a bigger beauty care product company or retailer or special retailer, where you still get exposure to this, but you're not concentrating your bet. So like a Sephora, I don't think Sephora is public, but like an Ulta or something. So um, definitely portfolio sizing and positioning is definitely key too for a name like this.
1: Yeah, it's super interesting you say that. I'm actually an Ulta shareholder. And if memory serves in their most recent call, they called out Olaplex as one of their best-selling products. So definitely getting some exposure if you're a shareholder in Ulta and probably a handful of other businesses in that aspect, right? Retailers of, of beauty products, you're probably getting some ancillary exposure to to Olaplex. And the last thing I'll mention here before we pull out is that there is some concentration within customers. Sephora. Beauty Systems Group, which is the parent company of Sally Beauty and owns a network of other professional consultants, as well as Amazon, reach greater than 10% of total sales in the most recent year. So, it's something to keep an eye on. I'm not worried about any of those channels, to be frank with you, but if you are going to be an investor, be sure that you're aware there's some concentration in terms of the retailers with which they distribute products.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And-
1: Sammy, I have to say, I, I, I love you coming on and talking about this company, bringing it to our attention. This is probably one that, in a year from now, I'll kick myself uh, for being so bearish upon in terms of just the market itself. But in terms of execution, it's certainly doing a wonderful job and I can't wait to watch what the future has in store.
0: Well, to be fair, I could be kicking myself for this being a, a trend that just fizzled out. So, we'll see where we'll we'll see where we land, uh, end up uh, in the years to come.
1: We'll flip a coin. <laughs> Well, again, thank you so much for joining. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me on.
1: Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out to say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet at us at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the screen today. For Sammy Deo, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and full on.